Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Most politicians on this side of the border are theoretically at least in favour of United Ireland, but they're a bit vague about the details. Even Sinn Féin, this is something that the writer and activist Emma D'Souza points out in today's Irish Times. Afternoon, Emma. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, Now, I mean, I I assume you're making this argument, you know, in advance of any border poll, but no one seems to be saying there will be a border poll in the near future. Well, I think it's fair to say, Sean, that this conversation around the possibility of a border poll or constitutional change has greatly advanced over the last number of years, particularly, I'd say, since the Brexit referendum in 2016. It has become quite bedded in now to the discourse across this island. We have several universities now working on academic papers on positions. And of course, many of the pro-unity parties have been, you know, calling for uh, preparing for constitutional change. But when it comes to the actual detail in terms of the position and policies of these parties, it's notably pretty vague, as you say. I mean, we had in the uh, 2016, after the Brexit referendum, Sinn Féin were calling for a border poll and in the seven years since have not actually outlined any vision or detail or depth to their arguments in terms of how they see that. Other parties, such as the SDLP, they started a New Ireland Commission three years ago and subsequently released zero papers or policies also putting out their vision. And of course, Fianna Foyle styles themselves as a Republican Party that aspires to unite the island of Ireland, but like also the other parties don't have a position or any detail or scope. Mm. Now, why do you think that is? Well, I would say it's not a very easy conversation to have for a start. And it's quite complex in terms of how do you merge two two jurisdictions that have become widely divergent over the last 100 years. Take, for example, the education system. We have two very divergent education models on this island. And how are we going to model that into an all-island education system? And of course, there's the tension that would invariably come from having conversations over what it would cost for United Ireland and what kind of changes would be necessary. We've seen some debates around changing national symbols are quite contentious. And so there's a need, I think, to have a really good conversation, asking ourselves why those changes might be necessary. And parties are avoiding those difficult conversations. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it would be an enormous uh, um, complicated set of issues. Probably the more one thinks about it, uh, uh, the more complicated it gets. Uh, but even in terms of an overarching scale, is it a federal Ireland? Is it, is it you know, do, does Northern Ireland retain some sort of uh, degree of self-government? Uh, uh, there's no even, as far as I know, no no suggestions even on uh, on that score. No, none at all. I mean, there was a paper released by Sinn Féin in 2016, which literally just listed all of those as options. But the party is unwilling to actually stake its flag as to which one it might have a preference for. Now, of course, they're calling for an all-island citizens' assembly, but a citizens' assembly is not the right vehicle to really address some of these very complex issues. There would need to be a lot more than that. And, of course, parties shouldn't necessarily be relying on a citizens' assembly to be able to stake out their own policies and positions. But, of course, it would be difficult for Sinn Féin and other pro-unity parties to take a position on these things because invariably it might create a rift or tension within their own bases. So politically, it may be a case that they're trying to be safe in not taking these positions. Mm. But as these conversations grow, we have to be mindful that we can't control the timeline. And if we end up in a situation where a border poll comes down the road and there's no detail, it's likely that border poll will fail. 
Yes. Uh, well, I mean, but, but you're making it sound like a border poll will kind of emerge on its own, uh, of its own volition. It's it's those very politicians who will make it appear or not. And uh, at the moment, it seems like everyone's swimming, ver- treading water, essentially, so, so that it doesn't come to uh, appear anytime soon. Well, it's worth noting that calling a border poll lies entirely with the Secretary of State uh, in the UK. Mm. So in that sense, we can't control the timeline. Um, but there's a need, I think, to to move into a space where we get beyond these sort of surface level conversations. It does feel, as you say, like we're treading water and we're avoiding having the more nitty gritty conversations. Border poll could be in five years, it could be in 10 years, it could be in 15 years. But I think that in terms of trajectory, it is clear that this is the path that we're heading towards. And it will require several years of careful planning to be able to create a plan on how it might look like. Now, the Taoiseach did say last week that there would need to be proposals put to the people in order for a border poll to pass. But yet he's doing nothing himself or his party to actually make those proposals happen. Maybe everyone at the moment feels it's just the wrong time to bring this up, Uh, you know, at least perhaps until the assembly gets back up and running. Well, I can say as someone in Northern Ireland, there is always some kind of political crisis or drama happening here, which is great for the bylines, but not so great for governance. The reality is you can do both things at the same time. There is no good reason for avoiding these conversations. We've seen what happened with Brexit and we need to take a serious look at how we are preparing for constitutional change so that we can create a vision that's going to address these issues in advance so people have something they can believe in. And I think that there's clearly a need for parties to invest resources into actually making that happen. We have to move beyond these slogans because mm. we've had seven years of sloganeering and no detail. Yeah. Is there any version of United Ireland you think might tempt some unionists to vote for it? Well, I think that the thing to remember with this conversation is that it wasn't just nationalists that voted against Brexit. There were plenty of unionists too that also voted to remain a part of the European Union and who will consider themselves to also be European. I think that the fact that a United Ireland will be a return to the European Union will be a significant pull, not just for nationalists, but for others too, including unionists. Yeah. And also I think the economic factor is going to be a big pull. In the sense of that they'd be better off in the United Ireland? Well, this is it. I mean, look, there's a lot of duplication of services across this island and constitutional change gives us an opportunity for a greater investment. Certainly as a rural woman, I think a lot about the rural investment that would come from it. And people are going to be thinking not about some sort of romantic dream of a United Ireland. People will be thinking about what is the best thing for me and my family. And that will be unionists and nationalists. Mm. No, because, I mean, here there's, a, there's an argument that you know, it'll cost the Republic an absolute fortune to take on uh, Northern Ireland. And, and, you know, many people at the end of the day mightn't want to pay for that. Yeah, I think sometimes those arguments can feel a little bit like seeing the North as some kind of burden when in reality, um, you know, constitutional change will bring about a swathe of investment naturally from getting rid of these duplication services and also the changes that it would invariably bring. And the cost question is very difficult to assess in advance because you don't know what kind of assistance Ireland might get from the European Union or from the US. And also, if you look at other case studies like Germany, you know, they would say that, yes, it did cost reunification, but it was worth it. Yeah, because I suppose part of this entire uh, project would invariably, no matter what final shape various parties come up with, uh, it it would require uh, what's at the moment the Republic of Ireland to be somewhat reinvented. Um, And 
I'm not sure how many people in the Republic of Ireland would be keen on, on what that reinvention might look like. Like, it, by which I mean, a lot of people south of the border are theoretically in favour of uh, United Ireland, as long as they don't have to pay for it or do anything. Yeah, I mean, Sean, look, you see that there out in a lot of polls and surveys that are done where there is this sort of, there is this um, romantic attachment to reunifying the island, but when it comes to things like taxes or changing national symbols or really any kind of change to the current Irish state, you do see that support drop quite significantly. And I think that points to a very clear need to have a national dialogue across this island on why some of those changes might be needed and how they might actually be beneficial. So you can address some of those issues before people go to vote. It's worth noting the Good Friday Agreement is a good example of how to run a successful referendum. It had a document that was sent out to all voters in advance that outlined what it was going to look like. That's the model that we need to adopt in order to have a successful border poll. And there also will be benefits for those uh, in the Republic. I mean, we may have a free at the point of access health service. And the reality is, is that constitutional change will enable us to change and rewrite how we see this society and rebuild something new. That's yeah. an enormous opportunity. And I think people, when they start getting into those conversations, might become a little bit excited about that. Yeah. Well, also, there's probably an, an information deficit. I mean, it, probably many people listening will be familiar, say, that, that, that the amount of people who travel north to the south is many, many times the amount of people who travel from the south to the north. People in the Republic of Ireland probably don't know what the reality of life is like in Northern Ireland. And, it, and and what they do know or think they know is kind of a largely negative view. Yes, well, I've written about this several times, actually, this kind of gap that we have north and south. And there's a, a quote from John Hume that I often like to look to, which talks about how the real border on this island is not a line drawn in a map, but in the hearts and minds of its people. And I think that there has been a significant separation between people north and south, particularly since 1998. I think maybe there was a thinking that when the Good Friday Agreement was signed and passed, that that stuff was all taken care of. And we kind of disengaged a little bit across this island. And there is really a need for both sides to learn more about each other. And there is, I think, perhaps an outdated perception of Northern Ireland still circulating within some parts of the Republic that it's still a massively divided place. I mean, politics is divided, but people here, not so much. People here want to have a better life, just like the same people across the border. So I think there's a need for us to have spaces created where we can get to know each other a little bit better. And the media plays a big part in that, too. Emma, thanks a million for speaking with us today. That was uh, Emma D'Souza there, the uh, writer and activist. Uh, One texter points out that an Irish Times poll in December 2021 found that when asked if a United Ireland would mean increased taxes and reduce public spending, 79% of people in the South said no. Uh, somebody else says, I have a family who fought with the provost and not one of them want to join this state. They laugh at how bad things are here. OK, uh, it's not as if like the North is Nirvana or anything, so I don't know from what position they're laughing. Uh, Bernard said Ireland uh, should ha- become feder- a federation of five with the four provinces plus Dublin. Dublin should be on its own because it's the financial engine of the country. Also, we must think of moving the capital to the west to counterbalance east, Dublin and Belfast. Maybe make Galway or Rathlone the new capital. We can see from other countries in Africa who have moved the capital before, e.g. Nigeria and Tanzania, uh, says Bernard. That's a very interesting set of suggestions, uh, Bernard, and it's probably that kind of thing uh, that we'd have to consider. (laughs) 
Moncrief, weekdays at 2 pm with Anna Glaze on News Talk.